Hello and welcome to the AMA Update video and podcast. Today we have our weekly look at the headlines with the AMA's Vice President of Science, Medicine and Public Health, Andrea Garcia in Chicago. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer, also in Chicago. Andrea, I guess it's a sign of the times. We're going to start not by talking about COVID, but about the flu. And there are a lot of headlines about the flu and how bad it's been so early in the season. What's going on? Well, that's right. And uh, CDC released uh, data last Friday. It it showed that flu is making an early comeback. Uh, Flu-related hospitalizations are the highest that we've seen in over a decade for this point in the season. The Washington Post reported that this flu season is more severe than it's been in the last 13 years. And the last time that we've really seen anything like this was during the H1N1 swine flu pandemic. And we're really seeing this increase across all age groups, especially children. And of course, health officials are concerned that this could be a sign of what's to come, which um, we've talked about a few times, uh, a difficult winter uh, with multiple respiratory viruses circulating. What numbers are we seeing? Uh, And is it worse in different parts of the country? So right now, the highest rates of flu activity are in the southeast and the south central states, so from Texas to Georgia. But that those cases are starting to move up the Atlantic coast. And the CDC data shows that there have been an estimated 880,000 lab-confirmed cases of influenza illness, about 6,900 hospitalization, and um, 360 flu-related deaths nationally, and that includes one child, and that's that's the season already. Uh, flu is difficult to predict, uh, but uh, flu season typically runs from October to May and peaks uh, December December and January. Uh, it's arrived about six weeks early this year, and so far it's looking pretty severe. Getting that flu shot is the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones, and the best time to get that vaccine is now. It takes about 10 days to two weeks for that shot to offer full protection. Get that flu shot. Uh, How are we doing with flu shots this year? Flu vaccination rates are unfortunately lower than usual for this time of year. And if we look at that CDC data, there have been about 128 million doses of flu vaccine distributed this season. Uh, That compares to 140 million at this point last year and 156 million the year before that. Um, I think with that being said, as long as flu is circulating, that vaccine is recommended. And keep in mind that goal of the flu vaccine is to protect against the most severe outcomes. Um, Health officials are saying that it's important to get vaccinated this year. And that's in part because we haven't seen a lot of flu in the last couple of years. So more people are going into this season with less immunity. And of course, we've also relaxed our mitigation strategies for COVID, which uh, we think helped to keep flu cases low over the past two years. Yeah, something about staying uh, staying at home for two years or uh, keeping all those masks on, of course, obviously mitigated some of that impact. But um, a lot of concern and not just about the flu, but uh, what we talked about last week, which is this idea of the triple-demic uh, on top of the flu, you got COVID and now RSV. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the surge in RSV cases. 
So RSV cases are continuing to increase uh, similar to what we just talked about with flu. The surge in cases is earlier than usual. We usually see RSV circulating in, in late December to mid-February, uh, but this season we're seeing that early spike in cases resulting in higher number of infections and hospitalizations. Uh, when I think about RSV, sometimes I think tend to think about younger people. Who, who is at most risk for RSV? So RSV causes a mild cold Ill illness in most people, but it can be very dangerous for very young children and older adults. And young infants are usually the most at risk of hospitalizations in what physicians would call their first RSV season. So in a pre-pandemic year, we would see one to 2% of babies younger than six months with an RSV infection, uh, maybe needing to be hospitalized. Um, and virtually all children have gotten an RSV infection by the time they're two years old. With the pandemic, of course, that changed. We have many young kids up to three years old who haven't yet been exposed to RSV. Um, and this year, experts are saying that the virus will be playing catch up. Um, like COVID, we also uh, know that older adults and adults with weakened immune system need to be careful of RSV. And as we talked about last week, there's no vaccine right now for RSV. So is there anything that people can do to help avoid getting it or spreading it? Yeah, I think just keeping in mind how it's transmitted, it's spread through contact with droplets from the nose and throat of infected people when they cough or sneeze. It can also be spread through respiratory secretions on surfaces. So it's a really good idea to clean and disinfect surfaces, especially in areas where young children are constantly touching things. Hand washing is always important. And if you are sick, please stay home. Uh, premature infants, children with certain medical conditions um, are also eligible to take a monthly an monoclonal antibody treatment um, during RSV season, and that can help them stay out of the hospital. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Well, the uh, third virus in this triple-demic, of course, is COVID. Have we begun to see uh, any signs of a predicted uh, COVID surge at this point? If we look at the New York Times data, hospitalizations and reported cases of COVID have been fairly flat nationally uh, over the past few weeks. And we are seeing a little bit of an uptick in, in, in test positivity rates, which suggests that increases could be coming soon. Uh, both case counts and hospitalizations have seen modest increases in some states uh, over the past two weeks, and those have been largely offset by modest decreases in other jurisdictions. So these small differences have been enough to keep those numbers pretty static at the national level. Uh, we are for sure seeing some cities and states uh, where there are increases. New York, for example, has an, um, an increasing number of people who are becoming ill with different COVID variants. And if you recall at the beginning of the pandemic, New York was one of those uh, first cities that was hit hard and then others followed soon after. 
Well, uh, for New Yorkers, uh, you know, what are we talking about in terms of these variants? So the New York Times actually called it variant soup. Uh, they are seeing cases driven by the Omicron, Omicron subvariant BA5, which we know has been dominant for quite a while now. But they're also seeing um, increases in BQ1 and BQ11, which we know the WHO has suggested may have an immune escape advantage over some of those other Omicron sublineages. Um, according to the CDC data, these newer subvariants are starting to represent a growing proportion of cases over BA5. I have to imagine it's hard for the average person to keep up uh, with all these different variants. And uh, at the same time, we're starting to see some headlines pop up uh, that are questioning the effectiveness of the new bivalent COVID booster. Uh, so a lot of confusion. What do, we, what do we know about the bivalent boosters and what should physicians be telling their patients who have questions about this? I think the most important thing to remember is that people who are eligible should be getting boosted. And the question being examined in these studies is if the bivalent boosters are better than the previous monovalent boosters. And these two studies uh, showed that the new boosters did not produce a better antibody response in humans against BA5 than the first generation of the vaccine. Uh, but this shouldn't change the message to get boosted as soon as possible. These studies com comparing the bivalent and the monovalent found the immune response to be similar. They did not compare the updated boosters to not getting boosted at all. Um, I think it's also worth noting that these studies are preprints. They were posted online before peer review, and they also have limitations due to their uh, small sample size. And we'll continue to track those as more uh, data becomes available. Um, one final note, uh, a new study that says that adding exercise to the mix can also help. What is that about? That was a study of nearly 200,000 people in South Africa. It found that the COVID vaccine prevented uh, severe illness, but worked best in those who exercise regularly. Uh, those who did exercise and received their COVID vaccines were about 25% less likely to be hospitalized with COVID compared to people who live a sedentary lifestyle. Um, and those are pretty big numbers. Uh, people who exercise between 60 and 149 minutes per week were more protected from severe illness than those who exercise less than an hour. Those who exercised at least 150 minutes per week benefited the most. And this certainly adds to the growing body of evidence supporting that connection between regular exercise and lowering the risk of severe illness and hospitalization due to COVID. Oh, it's really interesting. Well, uh, thanks, Andrea, again for being here. Uh, we'll be your triple-demic headquarters for more information uh, as things progress through the winter. That wraps up today's episode, and we'll be back with another AMA update soon. You can find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care.